Welcome to the Project Unchained podcast, where my special guests and I help you break free from the chains that hold you back from life's greatest experiences. The goal of this podcast is to educate people on self-care modalities that can and will improve your life if you commit to doing them. An effective self-care regimen is the single most important thing you can do for yourself to have a more extraordinary life experience. I'm your host, Ross Lepola, and I've spent the past several years of my life on a journey of healing and self-care after living many years chained down by my own limiting thoughts and beliefs. Now, I'm here to share what I have learned and to empower you to break free from the chains that hold you back from your unlimited potential. Let's get unchained. When you were lost in the woods, you were misunderstood by everyone, everyone. You were searching for words, but they came out absurd. And no one heard you, no one heard you speak your mind. They lost the This show is brought to you by The Belonging Blueprint. One of the most valuable lessons that I have ever learned has come from becoming a parent. A child's most basic needs is to feel a sense of belonging and significance. When I learned this and reflected on my own life, it reshaped the story I held on to about my childhood. And I came to the realization that we as adults still have that basic need to feel a sense of belonging and significance. I also soon realized the most important, powerful, and sustainable way to attain that sense of belonging is to create that within ourselves. And you know I'm a big fan of radical personal responsibility, so as adults, we must cultivate our relationship with ourselves and create our own sense of belonging from the inside. This concept has inspired me to construct the Belonging Blueprint, a personal development course that is available to you now. In this course, you will learn to navigate your life with the confidence you could only dream about in the past. I'll give you the tools you need to create your own belonging blueprint that will guide you to more ease and flow in your life. You can join me and others in a private community that supports your constant growth and sense of belonging because together we rise. To get more information and enroll today, you can click the link in the show notes. You belong here. Hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome back to the Project Unchained podcast. I'm your host, Ross Lipla. Today, I have a super exciting episode for you. I get to talk with my life coach, Mim Chapman. She is the woman I worked with when I realized my mind was spiraling into a shitty dark mess, and I needed help. I needed help, and I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to deal with the thoughts in my head. And I found Mim. Mim is a life coach, relationship coach, sex coach. Uh, She is uh, polyamorous friendly, LBGTQ friendly. Um, And that was a big reason for me choosing her was being polyamorous friendly as, you know, if you listen to episode one, uh, a lot of my hardships or the realization of my hardships came when I first started my polyamorous relationship with Vanessa. And so working with her was like the original catalyst uh, to my healing journey. It's where I finally started peeling back the layers of 
what was inside me. Uh, it was the first time that I, in, in my opinion, started to actually have a real relationship with myself um, and learn about myself and learn about, you know, why I respond certain ways, why I react certain ways, why I behave certain ways. Uh, and as I become aware of those, that's when I can start to create some shifts and change. So have an awesome conversation with Mim about some of her work, what she does, some of her experiences and what she sees and how she can, how she's helped empower lots of people and couples and uh, some of her life story and experience. And I'm super excited to share some of that with you. And yeah, without further ado, y'all, Mim Chapman, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? I am just fine, and it's really fun seeing you and talking to you and all of the people, wherever you are, that happen to be listening in today. Yeah, likewise. I was really excited when uh reached out to you and you were able to to join us here today. So I'm, I'm super excited to, to dive into some things and probably learn more about you and share a lot of the cool stuff that you helped empower me in my journey back in the beginning and uh, share some of that stuff with with the audience. So maybe how to get started, let's, uh, you know, give an introduction of yourself and, and what you do, where, where you where you come from, things of that nature. Okay. Well, I'm, uh, I'm currently in Santa Fe, New Mexico, a beautiful part of the world after having lived for nearly 30 years in Alaska, most of it in rural Alaska. Uh, my professional career looks like it was laid out by the same drunken borough that laid out the streets of Santa Fe. Uh, I've been everything from a music teacher to uh, a Kodiak, Alaska king crab fisherman to a bartender to uh, a junior high school principal to a college professor. And I'm now uh, a sex educator and relationship coach and surrogate partner, and a lifelong learner. So I love podcasts. I love what media is providing us, even during the pandemic. I was amazed at how much I was able to learn through the Zoom meetings and uh, um, all of those things, because the minute we quit learning, we start dying, as far as I'm concerned. So that's basically who I am. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, and it's interesting, I think, about how you know, you lived in Alaska for so long and I lived there for quite a few years and I was still living in Alaska at the time that I worked with you as a life coach. Uh, but we, that's not how I met you. We didn't meet in Alaska. You had already moved on to Santa Fe at that time. So it, it's kind of weird how, how that world, uh, collided, but not ever, we still never got to meet in person. <laughs> Yeah, so this is almost in person. And it is more like this afternoon I had I had a client session with a guy who is making a film in Bulgaria, and I had another session with somebody in London, and another one with a guy right here in Santa Fe. And now I'm talking to all of you wherever you are. And so uh, uh, it's wonderful that we can reach out and share and learn with each other. So thank you. So yeah. what shall we chat about this evening? Well, I suppose I want to start with what kind of inspired you to make that shift from all those other things into being a life coach and, or actually, it, I mean, that even ties into some of the schooling and education. Like you're, you're inspired to, it sounds like, uh, help people learn. Well, 
I'm a compulsive learner myself from the time I was a kid. Yeah, I went to school, but I always thought school was what you did because, you know, it was like the game you had to play to get your, your, you know, but then what you really did for fun was learn after school. And so I've always been curious about everything different from me. Um, I, um, and learning to me is the key of teaching. Every year, especially when I was out in the bush in Alaska, I would tell to my students, you're going to teach me more this year than I will teach you. And if you don't, either you're not doing your job, so get with it, or I'm asleep, <laughs> so wake me up. And so all of the things I've done have been, there have been sort of two themes, learning, teaching, and bridging cultures. Uh, I uh, was a lobbyist for the fishing industry for a while during the time I was a commercial fisherman. There was an article about me in the New York Times, and they said, wait a minute, your background is in cross-cultural communication. What does fisheries lobbying have to do with cross-cultural communication? And I said, trust me, communicating between commercial fishermen and D.C. legislators is cross-cultural communication. <laughs> And the same thing in relationship coaching. Every relationship is a cross-cultural relationship because even if you came from the same little small town, went to the same church or the same color, you know, each of us have unique cultural backgrounds. Each of us are really unique people. And so relationship coaching is cross-cultural education. It's helping us learn about ourselves more learning about the other person more and learning how to create together whatever unique kind of relationship we dream of creating. So it's all a part of learning and all the, all the people that I do relationship or, and life coaching with teach me. And I sort of describe myself, I'm a little bumblebee. I go from flower to flower and I carry pollen on my legs and I, what I learned from one person I share with another person, no names attached, of course. Right. Right. No, that's fantastic. So, that's my passion. Was there, was there anything specifically in, in your life and your life experiences that kind of pushed you to that, that life coaching and relationship coaching realm? I think one thing was I grew up in a very, very restrictive family. They were extremely fundamentalist. I wasn't allowed to play with anyone who wasn't as religious as my dad, and no one was as religious as my dad. So I grew up in a great deal of isolation. And when I went off to college, I mean, I read every book in the library about how to talk to people because I had had almost no social life as a child. And so I suppose that realizing that relationships don't just come natural. They're a skill like dancing or wood carving or fishing or anything else. And if you want to do a skill well, read about it, learn about it. And so I think my lack of relationship skill as a kid was the first thing that pushed me into it. And then I just realized this is, this is amazing. The level of intensity and diversity of relationships. I also really love science. And one of my first loves in science is Carlo Rovelli, the Italian physicist who's working in uh, quantum gravity, which I don't understand. I'm not a scientist, but he writes so brilliantly. And he says, you know, people think of, of physics as particles, but it's really, we're learning more and more. It's all relationships. It's all coming togethers over chains of time. It's mass and time and relationship. And that to me is exactly what life is. Life is a series of relationships. And if we don't pay attention to those relationships and nurture them and do them well and do them 
juicily and brilliantly, then we're not living life. So that's, I think, what draws me now. Of course, I've retired from my formal professor jobs and that kind of thing, but I don't want to retire from from my coaching because I really love uh, seeing people develop things that are more fun and more honest and more creative and more uniquely free to what they dream of being. I really, I really like that. That's fantastic. It, it resonates a lot with me specifically in my career change from engineering to coaching powerlifting mm-hmm. and how much more fulfilled and satisfied I am by that. And one of the biggest reasons why that is, is because we place a big emphasis on the coach athlete relationship. And so I get a lot more fulfillment out of my career now because of that relationship and those relationship aspects. And there's so much more uh, like, it's just a lot of fun when they do well and they make that breakthrough and they get that PR. And I never got that in engineering. I didn't finish a design and go the design, the building didn't, thank me for the work I did on it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I have to uh, applaud you because change, now to me, change is exciting. I thrive on change. I thrive on novelty and on new challenges, but many people don't have the courage. That's a radical job change from engineering, which is pretty left brain and is structured and you're working for an organization to what you're doing now that's a very individual work and it's physical it's for me going from i'd been a music teacher in fairfax county outside dc ran off to alaska and became a king crab fisherman because all my (laughs) life i've been working with my brain i want to do something that i'm working with my brawn and so i applaud you for that change and for those of you that are listening that are contemplating whatever kind of change it is in your life Um, we're all going through a change now. We're going through the change from the COVID where our introvert sides came out and we sort of had to find out how do I really learn to love myself and entertain myself and live at home within this cocoon that is, that I really haven't chosen, but I can choose how to use it creatively. Now we're opening up and I'm hearing people say, geez, I've, forgotten how to communicate because I haven't communicated other than with rectangles on a, on a screen. And so we're all in a change right now. So let's celebrate it. Right. Yeah. And for me, it definitely learning to embrace that change and that um, lack of, I guess, certainty has been so huge for my mental health. I mean, I've, would fight it tooth and nail every, every second of the way before. And the more I'm able to tap into that, the better my life is. I can feel it in my body. I don't feel so stiff and full attention. And that's been super fantastic. Yeah. So it's cool to hear that that's that relationship aspect and that communication aspect has been part of your, your why on why you wanted to coach and, and go into the life coaching. One of the things you mentioned was your, your life was super restricted as a child. And I think about like from a mental health realm, from a mental health realm that there is all kinds of 
points where like that trauma limits our life. And when we heal from that trauma, a lot of times then we break through and break through those limits. What, what struggles specifically in your life? Like had you limited and, and limited your life experience prior to getting to this point in your life? That's a really good question. And maybe I'd like to start with answering it. You know, you always do this. What is your philosophy of life? Well, I can say I can say my philosophy of life in three sentences. I was what my parents made me. I am what I choose to continue to be. What I will be tomorrow depends on the choices I make today. And as a child, um, I was pretty depressed. I was not a very happy child. In fact, um, you know, death looked like a pretty good option to me. And when I was about 13 or 14, I read Herman Hesse's Steppenwolf. And in it, he said, you know, this dude is the wolf of the steps and the bourgeois gentleman. And he says, oh, you know who I am. And he makes a promise to himself. He says, I will live till 50. And if it's not better by by then, I give myself permission to exit. And I had a science teacher when I was 12. We said, Mim, just wait till you get to college you're going to have choices. You're going to have options. You're going to be intellectually stimulated. You're going to be able to make new friends. And so I made a promise to myself to go till the end of my sophomore year. And if it wasn't better by then, I gave myself permission to exit. I share that because, you know, there are more people than we realize out there who have gone through depressions when they're saying, is this worth it? So one of the first things I would say is that I made a conscious choice to myself. I'm going to give it a certain chance, and this is what I'm looking for. A second thing that I would say I owe a great deal to, you might call it serendipity, but I call it serendipity but keeping your eyes open. When I was about 12, again, I was on the Greyhound bus on the way to visit my grandma in Columbus, Ohio. And a very old woman, probably my age, was sitting next to me on the bus and she was talking about where she had traveled. Now our family was very poor. And when you're poor, you think money's the answer to everything. So I'm listening to her and I said, I so hope that by the time I'm your age, I'll have lots of money so I can travel too. Now, if she had lots of money, would she have been on a Greyhound? But what do you know at 12? But she gave me the greatest gift of my youth. She looked at me and said, oh, sweetheart, I don't have lots of money, but I will give you the secret to a wealthy life. Every year, I do something I've never done before and I'm not sure I can do. If you do that, You'll have a wealthy life, no matter how much money you have. And I can feel in my gut right now what that felt like. I said, I can do that. And I was already keeping a journal. And I made a promise at 12 that I have kept to this day. And I write in my journal every year. I do something I've never done before, and I'm not sure I can do it. Sometimes I haven't done it well. And sometimes it's been fabulous. And sometimes it's been scary, but I think that's one of the things that just happened chance words. So I wish so much I had, you know, back then we didn't have emails, but I wish I knew who she was. I wish I could write and thank her, but I can't. So instead of thanking her, almost every time I'm interviewed or I teach a seminar or something, I said, I'm going to thank her by passing it along. So I give that to you that wherever you are, if you're feeling stuck, 
if you're feeling you don't know what to do, if life's feeling kind of confined and boring, boring, I give to you the gift from the lady on the Greyhound bus. Uh, it's made a huge difference in my life. And some of them have been big changes, like becoming a king crab fisherman in Kodiak, Alaska. That's a huge change. Some right. of them have been big changes in a different way. Like I'm, I'm, I'm set. I should, you know, confess. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm proud. I'm 78 years old. Three years ago, I got married. My first husband had died very young. And I mean, to get married at 75, that's a big change. Right. And it's kind of a little miracle, uh, you know, to a wonderful guy, 20 years younger than me. And so, you know, there's always little things that I'm saying, wow, that's something I've never done before. That's a chance to stretch. And that's all a part of learning. So I guess that's what got me out of the confines. And as I look at other people that have grown up in more confined, there's very there's a lot of ways that they have either chosen to stay there. And all choices are valid if we've really made the choices. If we've consciously said, I've grown up my whole life in ABC, wherever, I like this little town or this big town. I'm staying here. I don't want to change. That's a choice too. And it's just as valid as a choice to move. But the point is choose. Don't just blindly follow the mob is what I sort of look for. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I totally agree. And um, it's, something that's been super helpful for me. It sounds like you're, you're talking about like that idea to choose and make the choice from a conscious place. Um, and that's something that has been huge for me. And I talked about that a lot in my episode six, when I had to make a choice. Um, you know, when I was working with you, uh, was shortly after I started my polyamorous journey and, my head went spinning with all kinds of crazy inner insecurities. Um, and we worked together for a while and I learned a lot of great stuff. Um, at some point after, after that time with you, Vanessa had broke up with me cause she needed to focus on being Rosalie's mom. She had just had Rosalie. It was time for her to focus on that. There wasn't the time or space for me. And I had this moment after I, after about a week, of just being super pissed off and angry. And after I kind of got through that phase in that week, I realized I had this moment that I could choose to go back to the old version of me and stay in that self pity and self wallow or the choice to move forward and really embrace all the things that I was talking about learning during that experience and move forward with it. And that moment of that choice was, was fucking huge. It was so I, huge. I applaud you for you. So many people assess the results of their choices of, you know, like people will come to me for relationship coaching. And, it's, and I say at the beginning, remember, I'm here to coach you to come to be the fullest, happiest, healthiest person each of you can be. That may be together. That may be separately. That's not the issue. The issue is being the healthiest, happiest, most productive you. And sometimes it means you say, I love you enough to support you and going a different way from me. And owie, this hurts. And owie, yeah. I miss you. And wow, I have grown more through this than through any five of the nice 
uneventful Saturday evenings we spent together. So bravo to you and yeah. uh, to all you out there that are making choices. I, I, because I was so restrained as a child, one of the other things and it relates to choice, I have put a great deal of my effort as a coach and as a civil rights worker and as an educator into awakening people to the choices they do have. And I've worked as a teacher to assure every kid that nobody can tell you who you can't be because of who you are or what you can't be because that's not the way the majority do it. You know, if you want to be single, be single. If you want to be gay, lesbian, be gay, lesbian. If you want to be poly, be poly. If you want to be asexual, be poly, be asexual. If you want to be a, a, a politician and a rebel rouser, go for it. But you're the only one that can tell yourself no. Nobody right. else has the right to tell you you can't be who you dream of being. It may yeah. take some work. It always takes some work, but you can do it. Absolutely. I, I absolutely agree. And it was really fantastic, you know, that because a lot of times you don't know what is going to happen down the road from making that choice. And you can't worry about that. You can't stress about the future. And if for me at that moment, one of the things that happened was making that choice and leaning on some of the things that I learned. Uh, for example, the idea that the people in the relationship are more important than the relationship. And like that really helped me get through kind of that heartache time and make that choice to keep working on myself and invest in myself and, and peel back the layers of my hurt and trauma and connect with that and have a relationship with myself for a change. Oh, and that was amen. huge. That is huge. I, I mean, if we don't love ourselves, how can we love anyone else? If we don't, know ourselves you know socrates says, know thyself how long was that 2500 years ago and how many of us don't take the time certainly sexually i i you know i'm a sex educator and a surrogate partner and i'm amazed at the people who never have really explored their own bodies their own imaginations their own fantasies just no holds barred what is it i mean i know people that have never played with the inside crease of their elbow, for example. That's a really sensitive part of our body. And my God, we overlook it all the time. I'm using that as an example. Right. The end of your nose, your ears, pick your part. Every single part of our body and our psyche and our mind, every little corner of our fantasies has some great gift to tell us. And we have to spend time on ourselves to find that. Yeah. Absolutely. And it was that work that finally allowed her and I to circle back and reconnect. And it's been, you know, lights out since because I'm not trying to be in a relationship from a place of hurt anymore. And that's been it's been super cool. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. What what, what do you see a lot of people in that come to you for that relationship coaching? Where do you see their biggest struggles in that come from? Oh, another really good question. Of course, there's a wide variety of issues um, and places. Um, 
some are simply trying to decide what is it that we want in a relationship. You know, we're kind of taught in our society that we have limited options. Nobody quite tells you you have limited options, but we swim in water of you're single or you're married. And if you're married, you're monogamous. And until quite recently, you're a male and a female. And then you had 2.5 kids and a pig. Well, that's kind of gone by the by, but still that's kind of what is normal, quote unquote. That's what we see around us. So a lot of it is, what is it that you really want? Gee, maybe the, we don't want the same thing. I work with a lot of couples where one person says, you know, I really like monogamy. I'm not all that interested in developing multiple relationships, but I also really love you. And I don't want to limit you from doing that. How can we develop agreements? And I never say rules because to me, rules are something that somebody else creates and imposes on you and therefore you're pissed off about it. But what can we agree on that will make us both feel safe, loved, honored, and free? And so sometimes I work, well, what is it that your dream in the absolute ultimate fantasy of life, what would it look like for you? And then the other person, what might it look like for you? And this can be, these can be sexual issues between the two of them. These may be everything as simple as what kind of house do you really want to be living in? Where do you, I'm amazed at couples who have gotten married without ever having even discussed whether they want children or not, let alone having discussed whether they're going to keep separate finances, you know, the me account, the you account, and the we account. And so Mm -hmm. I I also perform weddings, but I only perform weddings for couples that write their own vows and work, you know, and um, I have a whole big list of questions that I say, I'm sure you've discussed all of these, but in case you haven't, here's some checklists for you to go through. And so many of them say, oh, my God. Why hadn't we thought of that? So uh, sort of a meandering answer. Part of it is questions that it would have been nice if they had discussed before they came together. Some are people that have just met each other. And so now they're discussing these questions. Who are we? What do we want? What do we want to build? Some have been together for quite a while and they say, this has been good, but we're ready to grow. How can we grow our relationship? Some it's you know, this is kind of getting to be boring. How do we add some juice to this relationship? So, um, and under it all is what you said, is each person, whether it's a twosome or a threesome or a single person, a onesome, how do I get to know all the aspects of me and love all of me so that I can share all of me with another person or as much of me as I choose to share with that particular person? Does that give you sort of an idea? Yeah, yeah. I think distilling that down to to try and simplify it all, I to me, what, one of the things that I hear that people coming to you for, for life coaching, relationship coaching, the two biggest problem areas or struggle areas for them is communication and their relationship with themselves, mm-hmm. often mm-hmm. expressed in the form of they don't know anything about what they want out of life. I love that song from South Pacific. You gotta have a dream. If you don't have a dream, how you gonna make a dream come true? And to have a dream, you gotta know what you're dreaming for. So I think that's really yeah. where 
whether it's an individual coaching or whether it's in couple or family coaching starts with getting to know your own dream. Yeah. Then I guess knowing, I mean, not everything is possible. I might dream of flying and I doubt if I'm going to sprout wings every day soon, but I can get to the base of it. I really want to fly. What is it under that desire? Is it that I want freedom? Is it that I want that feeling of soaring? What is it that I want? And then what part of what I want can I actually achieve? Yeah. And how do I do it? You know, I I think about that with some of my own life journey and story. Like I, when I transitioned to coaching full time, I've said it several times. I had the realization that I, I never really wanted to be an engineer. It just, I got funneled through the system. Like so many other people go to school, get a job, get a career, blah, blah, blah. Like that whole, just the American dream. This mm-hmm. is, this is what everybody needs to chase. We're all going to chase the same dream, the same thing. And got funneled through that, not knowing anything about myself or what I wanted to do and, or get out of life. And as a result, like all, <laughs> there is always a lot of struggle in my life in relationships with people and myself. And as I, connected more with myself that helped me get through to that. And as a result, then also communicate better with absolutely what was in my head. And I like what you said about you just getting funneled through the system. Atlantic magazine a month or so ago had an all day seminar on happiness. And one of the key, you know, everyone, you know, from the Dalai Lama to some Yale professors to, you know, all kinds of ilk of people uh, talking about happiness, what it is. One of the threads that ran through it all is our society funnels us into what you want is wealth, power, and security. Wealth, power, and security don't bring health and happiness. Right. Lots of times, the wealthiest people are not the happiest and healthiest. Security is sort of another word for boredom. And power is a lot of responsibility. I mean, if you rule the world, you're, you're responsible for everybody under you, which is everybody. So instead, looking at growth, and the key is growth and relationships. And so think of how different the world would be if we came home and said, hey, I got a raise today. I only work 38 hours a week, which gives me two hours more to play with my kids and watch the sunsets and walk with the woods, walk in the woods. But if we say, I have a gift for you, three hours of whatever you would really like to do together. Those things don't cost a penny, but they cost creativity and they bring happiness. Yeah, that was that was one of the biggest benefits for me in the transition from engineering to coaching full time was the, like I took a substantial pay cut, but man, the quality of life that came along with it, with the autonomy in my schedule, I can work whatever hours I want. Um, you know, as long as I'm getting the things done that I need to get done, uh, we're agreed upon working so many hours, but I can move that schedule around anywhere I want. I don't have to be confined to this nine to five bottle. And that can well, be super will, helpful with uh, with just doing things that I want to do in life. Of course, it's one of the great advantages for me with relationship coaching, too. I can be really flexible with 
my client schedules, you know, like the person I just worked with today was in Europe, you know, huge time difference, but I don't have to, I'm not working eight to five. Right. I can work with someone at nine o'clock in the evening or at three in the afternoon, or I can have a three hour session one week and then not see them for another month. You know, when you need, it, it's that flexibility that I find beneficial for my life and my clients seem to find it beneficial too, that I'm sort of there when they're wanting to chat about something or play with something. Right. Yeah, for sure. So when you're working with, with those individuals, how much of their past do you see that is limiting their life more than they consciously are aware of? Another good question. Um, I don't spend, I spend a lot of time helping people ask themselves those questions. I don't spend gobs of time. It's not like Freudian therapy where you sit there for years talking about your mother and your childhood, but it's more when things come up that I, I'm sort of like a mirror. I, I feel a block or I feel a button, a relationship button where, boy, every time we do that, ooh, things explode. When I see a button, or a block, then I dig down like a rotor rooter. Where's the where's the clog in this drain? And almost always those I call it rotor rooter getting through to the shit that's clogging your your system. Right. If you'll excuse my French. Oh, I no worries. <laughs> it's not French even. But then you can say, Oh, yeah. This is about when, well, you know, my dad always X, Y, Z. And then quite often I ask, what did you in this situation when you were seven or 11 or whatever, what did you do to make yourself feel safe? And they'll talk about it. You know, that was a really good technique when you're seven. But, you know, you're 27 now. I bet you have more tools in your toolkit now. And that may not be as productive now as it was at seven. And I think it's not being angry at what happened at seven. It's not being angry at themselves for who they were at seven. It's saying we have more tools now. And so this, you know, for example, someone gets angry, you know, a typical thing is dad would get angry and I knew the rubber hose were coming out. So I would, you know, deer in the headlights, I would freeze. Well, when I was seven, freezing was a good idea. It kind of made me invisible. But now freezing isn't a good idea. And so instead it can be, how do I say, breathe or laugh or create a picture of what's happening or look at alternatives or get, you know. So it's that kind of thing, not dwelling on the childhood, but seeing if there's a block from your past, how can we unblock it and look at the tools that are better used now? For sure. What are some of those tools that you like to rely on? Oh, my God, there's so many. Um, <laughs> certainly, there are physical things. I do a lot of somatic work. You know, I when you, I'll, quite often, it's, so what are you feeling? Where are you feeling it in your body? What color is it? Breathe into it. Maybe it's feeling purple now. Is it turning more green? You know, any kind of thing just to help people really feel, get present with what you're feeling, not not escape into the head and try to analyze it all the time. So sometimes it's that sort of somatic body work. Sometimes it's visualization. Sometimes people immediately 
something happens and it reminds them of something that was scary or that made them angry at the past. And I'll use, this, for example, this, I like to give credit where it came to this comes from George Bach, Aggression Lab. He, uh, he says the idea of this thing that, <clears throat> that just makes me see red. Tell me about it. Paint me a picture of it. Take a Polaroid picture of that. Look at the picture of that situation that really makes you angry. Look at it. Now, clip the bottom of that Polaroid picture and sort of swipe down slowly with your fingers and drain all the color out of that photograph. Okay, can you still see it? But is it black and white now? Okay, you still remember that that happened. How is it? Well, I don't quite feel it as strongly. In other words, it's taking something. It's not saying pretend it didn't happen. It's like, can we drain the emotional energy out of something so that it doesn't trip us up now? So, I mean, that's just an example. Like I say, sometimes it's body techniques. Sometimes it's visual techniques. Sometimes it's nice common things like writing techniques. When this happens, write down about it write about what just happened, write about what you're feeling. Sometimes it's when you have a dream about it, write down your dream. Uh, sometimes it's, I use laughing meditation a lot. You know, you, you can't, you have to breathe to laugh. Right. And, you know, just like, sometimes in the middle of a session, I'll just start laughing. The first time I do that, client will look at me like, oh my God, I think Mim has just cracked up. <laughs> and, and then I keep laughing. And then pretty soon they're laughing. And then we sit there and laugh for a while. And then I say, how do you feel? Oh my God, I'm so much more relaxed. I mean, that's really simple. We all we all know how to laugh. So it's using things that our sight, our touch, our uh, our bodies, our laughter, our breath, these common ordinary things, and using them as tools in dealing with things that um, that tense us up and trip us up. It's all what the person is. Right. Yeah. No. That. That reminds me a lot of the the big one that you had me do when we were working together as far as like drawing the images out that were causing me to get stuck and watch and burn them and watch them burn to help remove some of that emotional attachment and that tension that it would create with them. And like you say, you can't like make it go away. It's not a matter of pretending that it doesn't happen because, well, you can't pretend that it didn't happen. It's just a matter of dissipating that like attachment to it. And when you dissipate that attachment to it, you remove its power from it and you can have a lot greater flow and ease through future life experiences. If that might trigger some of those feelings again. Do you know how much joy it gives me across these years and these miles to hear you tell me, that that really worked for you. I just want to reach out and give you a hug across these miles. That just, that's the greatest joy that you could possibly give me is that some little tool from the toolkit that I tossed your way has worked for you and that you're now sharing it with everybody out there. Thank you. I mean, you've definitely played a pivotal role in my life, ma'am. And I, I wouldn't be in this state of mental health and uh, like positive, good mental health and emotion that I'm in now. And without having started that work with you, you know, and 
it was oh you're gonna make me cry (laughs) well we can definitely cry i've cried on a few episodes already (laughs) but realize you are the one we talked about choices a few minutes you made the choice to reach out of your comfort zone and say no here's some stranger who says you know to reach out to me that took courage on your part and you made the choice to take ideas and try them, even if they sounded silly or if they sounded like they might not work. And so you're the one that chose to make your life richer. And now you're choosing to all the work that it takes to create this podcast, to share yourself and your heart and your mind and your friends with other people. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you. It was, it's interesting. There was a, there was a moment um, after like I had found you and we were talking about working together. I was like, uh, I don't, I don't want to spend the money. I don't like I was, there's, it's very often I get stuck in this cheap mindset and get stuck in being cheap about things because, you know, as you mentioned before, I grew up poor. So money is the solution to everything, quote unquote. Um and so there is definitely times when I get fixated about spending money and not having enough money. And it was like, unless it's something I really want, right. And have something to justify spending that money. And there is a defining moment where I finally had the thought in my head. I'm like, damn it. You spend all this money doing all this other, you know, frankly, dumb shit. <laughs> invest in yourself for a change. Just one time, finally invest in yourself. And it was that conversation I had with myself that that made the difference. Well, I hope everybody's listening to that. You did invest in yourself. And investing yourself comes from loving yourself. So many people don't love themselves enough to invest in themselves. You know, or they'll invest in things that they think other people will like them for. You know, women are especially bad. Well, if I just had more expensive clothes, then people would like me. Well, that's not really, an, I mean, I'm not against having nice clothes, I don't think, but it's investing in what makes you a happier, a healthier, a more growthful person that really has the payoff. It's the experiences. It's not the stuff we have yeah. piled up in our lives. So I'm yeah. so happy that your investment has paid off so brilliantly for you. You're worth yeah. investing in. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. I'm, I'm happy about it too. Cause I, at that time I was definitely very, uh, of the keeping up with the Joneses is what's going to make me and bring me happiness and joy. And I mean, it doesn't, it's not going to. And so it was, it was good to start creating that shift. And I mean, my life picture story looks completely different than what it did before and all for the better. That is fabulous. I mean, we have to just look around us to see um, the judging ourselves against others is absolutely a guaranteed lose-lose thing. And I, I sort of blame our culture breeds that into us from competitive sports in school to competitive grading. Um, somehow, I was really lucky as a kid that I always felt 
I my big challenge was myself. Some of the benefits of not having an extreme social life. I mean, I was all by myself. So who did I have to play with but me? Who did I have to set goals for but me? Like that goal of every year doing something I've never done before and I'm not sure I can do. And so that encouraged me at an early age to really, although I didn't know that's what I was doing, I was investing in myself. And uh, I, I have a my husband died right after he finished his doctorate, which was excruciatingly sad in his early thirties. I thought my life was over and moved in with uh, another teacher and uh, who was total fashion plate, which I am not. And people would say to me, ma'am, how can you do so much traveling? You're just a school teacher. And I'd say, look at my closet, look at yours, you know, put your money. I, I tried to put my money in what really made a difference to me. 20 years. She, you know, left teaching, began selling real estate, making in a very expensive area of California, married an architect, building million dollar homes. She was selling million dollar homes. They always had new car every single year, dressed like a fashion plate. 20 years later, they got divorced. When they split their assets, he used his half of the assets for a couch to sleep in in his office. Which makes me sad. Not that he had nothing but his couch to show for it, but that they had worked so hard to keep up with the new car, the fancier house, the latest fashions, and it hadn't brought them the happiestness they wanted. There were times that I thought, oh, I should do more. I, I don't do enough of that. But I think I'm happy with the choices I've made about investing in me. So I, uh, I'm glad that you're happy with those choices for yourself, too. Yeah, yeah, me, me too. Me too. It's been, it's been great. Um, one of the, a, a, a bit of a shift here. Mm-hmm. Um, you're a relationship coach and a sex coach. Mm-hmm. How important is being comfortable with your sexual expression for your mental health? Oh, wow. I think extremely important. Uh, like I said, with, you know, listening to your body in one way, we commodify sex, you know, we use it to sell cosmetics, we, you know, dress up little kids, you know, we, we make it a commodity that you judge yourself by and you compete on, when really, it's like sunsets and sunrises. I mean, who goes out and says, oh, this is a $23,950 sunset? Well, sex is the same way. Sex is just paying attention to this beautiful moment of color and light and sound and action that's like a sunset. And I don't think I could be a healthy person if I walk by a stunning sunset and say, oh, ho-hum, I don't think I noticed that. Or much less if I said, oh, that's a sunset. Oh, that's wicked. I better not take time to enjoy that. I've got to go right back and go to work. I can't, it'd be wicked to pay time enjoying a sunset. And the same thing, sex uh, 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 there are so many things in our culture that either commodify it or make it wicked or make us feel uptight about it. Sex is as beautiful as daisies. It's beautiful music. It's a healthy part of living and breathing and loving and communicating. And it's not the most important thing in a relationship, but it is any more than you can say, oh, well, the most important thing in a relationship is breathing. 
Well, yeah, duh. If you don't breathe, you're probably not going to have a very healthy relationship because you're not going to be a very healthy person. Well, the same thing, whatever kind of sensuality or sexuality or eroticism is a part of you, being it is a part of being healthy, just like breathing. What's been a big help with uh, people you worked with in the past that have uh, helped them get more connected with their their sexuality and their sexual expression so that they could grow to that place and be a more confident, healthy version of themselves and not have that repression with it and or not have it just be some commodity uh transactional aspect of their life um it very much varies i mean there's a wide variety of things depending on the person right um some of them are somewhat gender specific men you're a man so i'll start with you and i hope you don't mind me being no not at all uh I have a, a fair number of men to come, who come to me worried about erectile dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And I quite, in the first place, you know, I use laughter a lot. And I, say, and I want to give you a reaction. I said, oh, my. All these years, you've thought that you were six inches of sex machine? Oh, my dear, you're six feet of sex machine. And we're going to start <laughs> with this five and a half feet you've been ignoring. And, of course, at first they're shrugging. At first, they, I mean, everybody laughs when you say that. And with men who are worried about that, lots of times I do a lot of work with sensation, with just simple things like take my hand as if you were a sculptor and you were going to sculpt my hand. Just explore it. Close your eyes and picture it. People, I'm shocked at people who haven't had experience to just touch. And so it's not, to me, sexuality is a huge spectrum that starts with paying attention. And it starts with feeling your fingertips. And it goes all the way to the wildest orgasms you can imagine. But usually it starts with paying attention to your fingertips or your nose. And so that's one thing is just waking up and giving permission. I, I have in my uh, drawer here all kinds of little sensation toys, you know, from fingers to rubber bands to little squishy toys that all blindfold people and just, you know, give them sensation play. But it, it, not with the what is this, it's just feel this. Right. Uh, that's something that both men and women uh, quite often benefit from just play with being more aware of their bodies, being in their bodies. Something that we tend to think is more common around me- women than men. And maybe statistically it is, but it's I've experienced with a lot of men as well are abusive things. And I don't mean necessarily abuse is not necessarily violence. It's not necessarily rape, but often it is. And so many people have had abusive relationships that were physical in some way that part of the work has to be whether it's the drawing pictures, whether it's telling the stories, whether it's writing forgiveness, whether it's realizing, no, I wasn't the one who did that. Somebody else did that. Now, I'm a, I'm a rape victim. I have been raped. Uh, 
it, it was a situation that it was a stranger breaking into my motel room when I realized that he was bigger than I was and I couldn't do anything and scream and nothing else was. In, I sort of in myself, I said, okay, I'm a corpse. You can rape my body, but you cannot rape my soul. I was very lucky that somehow I was able to do that, but I work with people who have are survivors of unpleasant situations to help them say, okay, you did something that wasn't right. It's not, it's just that I will not continue doing that to myself. There's a wonderful, you probably know, or may, you may know this, there's a Zen going uh, about two monks who are walking down, they're, they're in their training period when they're not allowed to touch women. And they're walking silently through a rainstorm. And a woman in a beautiful kimono is trying to cross the street, but there's this torrent of water going across the street. And one of the monks picks her up, carries her to the other side of this of the torrent, sets her down and they walk on in silence until they reach the temple, the Wat, where it's sundown and they can talk. The second monk says, why did you pick up that woman this morning? You know, we're not allowed to do that. The first monk said, I sat her down seven hours ago. Why are you still carrying her? And I think that's a wonderful story about things that have happened. Uh, I can't change what you did, not you, you know, what right. XYZ did Figurative. 10 years ago, but I don't have to carry it. I can set it down. And so that's another thing that quite often I work with is just setting down things that people have been carrying for so long that they've wounded themselves with it. Sometimes it's sheer education. Sometimes it's, um, courage to try new things it's whimsy it's role-playing it's costumes it's oh my goodness i've never thought of doing that it's oh what if what if uh, uh, one thing that my husband and i we, you know we were very young when we got we were 21 when we got married we didn't know anything and we realized that uh sometimes we each be trying so hard to please the other person that we didn't really pay attention to what we wanted and we started playing this little game of king for a day and queen for a day we do we game like gamble time oh i've collected two hours and if, when, we, when i was queen for the day or for two hours i could ask for anything and my husband wouldn't do it unless I asked. So I might say, could we have Sunday morning from 8 to 10 for me to be queen time? And if he agreed to that, I might say, let's see. First, I would like you to make me scrambled eggs with cheese and some fresh juice and one wildflower in a vase. Bring it to me on a tray. Okay. Sit next to me and play your guitar while I'm eating breakfast. Okay. Now remove the tray. Then remove but anything I wanted for. But I learned to ask for what I wanted. And it, he couldn't, he could do no wrong because anything, he didn't have to think up what to do. And it was a wonderful game that we developed to play with trying new things. And so I share things like that with people to just give them game-like formats in which to try new things. So, I mean, that's just a smattering of some of the things that are fun to play with. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I know that uh, 
as I get more in touch with that and I do more work on my own sexuality and insecurities that I've had and carried around it, performance, penis size, like all that. And as I work through that and connect with that and realize, you know, it, none of that stuff that I worried about mattered at all. Cause there's so many other sensations and expressions and there's so much more to it. And it's not just that one thing. And man, like connecting with that and taking that pressure off, like removes so much anxiety from the experience, removes so much anxiety around sex. And then when you remove that anxiety around it, it gets better. (laughs) And And it's fun. You're allowed to laugh. (laughs) Right. You're, You're allowed to enjoy having sex. It's not just for having kids. It's multifaceted. It's multidimensional. There's a lot of layers to it. There's so much more to it that uh, it's not like a porno. Um, No, that's not the best sex education tool. You know, short and quick and the woman always comes immediately. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And, And women out there. Haven't you all, I hope you haven't, but I'm sure some of you have at some point in your life made love with a guy that when he finished, you sort of felt like you were supposed to pin a blue ribbon on his chest. That's really boring. (laughs) This is not a competitive (laughs) sport. (laughs) That's hysterical. A friend of mine who's a sex researcher has done research with women into what women want. And like you said, men think, some men, that women want, you know, its size, its duration, its technique, it's all that. In her research, which was a fairly extensive number of people, 80% of the women responded. What they said was what they found the biggest turn on in men was a man who was really present. And that's really simple except it's not we spend so much of our lives not being present so if we can really be present at a sunset if we can be really present with music if we can be really present loving ourselves and then we can be really present with whoever our partner is really listening not just going through the see first I do this then I do that for at least this long and then I straight down god that's boring but just listening and dancing to the music together there's no ritual for that that's that takes paying attention and having fun Yes. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. So repeat that for you fellas out there, especially women want your presence. They want your conscious presence and that's going to be a game changer. Yeah. And I can see from the grin on your face that the people (laughs) listening can't see, but uh, trust me from the grin on your face, I can tell that you know how to be present (laughs) and that it's fun. Oh yeah. I mean, and, not only is it, um, I, I guess, for it's elevated for for both of us, you know, like it's not like it's just something that all of a sudden Vanessa benefits from and I don't like no, like there when I'm present, both of us, both of our experiences are elevated and it is uh, when you can get to that level 
where your sexual expression can be full of that presence, you experience things at a much more fuller body level than what you do if you try and mimic that porno-like education. Exactly. Another thing is, I, I call this the great gift of Bill Clinton. That is not sex. What is not sex? <laughs> I, I'm saying that jokingly. Right. But he really brought to the consciousness what we define sex as being. One of the things that sometimes I do with, that there was a lesbian couple that I absolutely love that I was working with that were in this, how could we get things more juicy? So we would set various taboos. Okay, this week, you can do everything but kiss. This week, you can do everything but touch genitals. This week, and you know, there's something real, Masters and Johnson and their work did a lot of work with no genitals right now because we have a society that's so fixated, like I say, it's all six inches of sex machine. And how creative can you be in giving pleasure and finding pleasure without just the old tab A and slot B, as you know, a friend of mine calls it, <laughs> right. or tab A and whatever you want today, or tab B rubbing clap, tab B or whatever. How many different ways can you find to have fun? Kids do this all the time. I mean, kids throw sand at each other. Kids roll and it's like, watch a cat. A cat can be totally, I think of cats lots of times, like think of sex. Because there was a book that I read called uh, A Mind of Its Own, The Natural History of the Penis. You know, a penis is like a cat's tail. It runs on a whole separate motor. And you'll (laughs) watch a cat. It'll be crawling, most slinking, chasing a bird. Just slinking tail wagging like a flag a few minutes (laughs) totally and a few minutes later it crawls into a patch of sunshine suddenly it totally forgets the bird and it stretches out and it just stretches out and totally enjoys the sunshine and that to me is that sex i mean that is sensuality is totally feeling oh my god right now I just want to squirm and wiggle on the bed. Right now, I want to be out in the grass, and I want to just roll in the grass and feel the moisture and the dew all over my body. That is what being alive is about. We can learn it from cats, and we can learn it from kids. And that's that's <laughs> a, that's really what it's about, if for me at least. Oh, I, I like that. I like that, especially learning it from kids because – I mean, that was a huge part of our work was me connecting with my inner child and reconnecting with that. And that's been hugely beneficial in, in my journey. Bravo. Uh, two things. One thing I want to know, what is your, what is your go-to self-care tool to keep you like aligned with your purpose and in, in your life and, and keep you grounded and, and moving forward? Um. Having a nurturing space. I have a, you know, one of those sort of hammock chairs and it's hanging by the window, looking out at the trees and the mountains right outside my window, taking time to just curl up in my swing chair, which holds me like hammocks do and swing and taking time to just look at the light on the trees and maybe just caress my cheeks or take a minute to say, 
how are you, ma'am? What are you feeling? I think my go-to is have is physically I can call it my swing chair, right. but my hammock chair. But it's that curl up in myself and nurture myself with beauty and awareness space. Nice, nice. I like that. That's beautiful. And what about uh, people that might want to connect with you? How can they how can they find you? Oh. Well, I'd be glad to. I'm, this is not a publicity stunt by any means, but I'm really glad to chat with people. I uh, I can be reached. The easiest way is by my email. Yep. Uh, my little company name is Mimco, M-I-M-C-O. And my email is Mimco8, because eight's the infinity symbol. Right. It means you can go forever. Mimco8 at gmail.com. And so if you, I, I work in person, I work by Skype, I work by Zoom, I work by phone, I have clients all over the place, I work for one session, I work for longer sessions, or if you just want to call and you're curious about what what we could do together. Uh, since I do travel a lot, and we have a second, second place out in the mountains, so uh, rather than phoning me, the best place to reach me is at mimco8 at gmail.com. Awesome. I also should say, uh, although I don't make any money on off of it, I wrote a book about polyamory just to show how many different ways of doing polyamory there are. And it's called, What Does Polyamory Look Like? And it's like pictures of different kinds of, like, get this, you can love them more more than one person at a time, but what do polyfamilies look like? And it's available both in hard copy form and Kindle form on Amazon. What does polyamory look like? Mim Chapman and my website, which is grossly out of date. I'm not very techno savvy, but it's there and it has info about me and it's just mimchapman.com. Awesome. Cool. And I will, I'll link all that stuff in the show notes for people to uh, make it easier for them to find it as well. So it's, thank you. Thank you. It's wonderful to reconnect with you. And of course, I'd love to connect with any of you out there who are listening, who just, you know, want a a humanoid with good ears to listen to you. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate your time, man. Big hugs. A quick note about the Project Unchained podcast. I'm not a doctor nor a therapist. I'm just a driven guy who has seen firsthand what this healing journey can do for the quality of a person's life experiences. The ideas and concepts I share with you are a result of my own ongoing journey and that of my guests. I truly want you to live a more free and empowered life. This is my gift to you. Thanks for joining Project Unchained today. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if the tools you've learned have helped you, please consider leaving a review so that this show ends up higher in search results. By doing that, you can help me help others get unchained. If you know someone who specifically would benefit from today's episode, please share it with them directly. If what I'm discussing on the show resonates with you and you'd like to chat, please do reach out. I respond to all messages. You can find me on Instagram at Ross.Lepola, and I'm on Facebook, Ross Lepola. My email is in the show notes. Lastly, I want to give a special thank you to my very talented cousin, Gaitlin Lee, for the intro and outro music for this podcast. The song is Lost in the Woods from her 2018 album, Learning How to Stay. You can find Galen's albums on Bandcamp, Spotify, and Violinscratches.com. Until next time, I hope you live your life a little more unchained.
Give yourself away.